It is more blessed to give than to receive. These are the words of Jesus, not recorded in the Gospels, but recorded by the Apostle Paul and Luke in the book of Acts. Jesus said that, and then he gave his everything to us. And this, of course, is the cross of Jesus, where he gave uh, his life in our place, which is the essence of the gospel. It's the core of why we gather. It's our entire hope, is that Jesus indeed did die on the cross. And that self-giving by Jesus accomplished our redemption. And so we hear in the words of Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive, a calling out from a life of materialism, a life of selfism, a life of uh, given over to the accumulation of fleeting things in this world, by promising us there is more in the giving than any of the receiving could ever provide. So it is more blessed to give than to receive from the words of the one who gave everything to us. That was last week's message. And uh, today we continue our Habits of Grace series, and we continue our little, gener- our little mini-series within this, our, uh, our generosity uh, messages. We, we continue today, and specifically now, we are going to talk about generosity as it relates to money. Now, generosity is way more than money, but it is no less than money. It certainly includes that. And we know this even in the inspiration of Scripture, which talks so much about money, and even the ministry of Jesus. Jesus spoke about money far more than any pastor would ever dare to. (laughs) He talked about money more than heaven. He talked about money more than hell. Many of the parables that he told related in some way uh, to money. And uh, the prevalence of teaching in Scripture on the subject of money shows us that money for us is a kind of spiritual inflection point. It is a, it is a foolproof, uh, foolproof, easy for me to say, foolproof indicator of who or what is on the throne of our hearts. Now, one of the things that I do, I like to read, I read lots of books, and, and I, uh, I keep a a database of quotes that I like and I have Evernote and I've got thousands of quotes on there and so often when I'm preparing a sermon I'll kind of go back and do a search on my, in my, my database and one that popped up for me this week in my notes was from Pastor Matt Chandler and he just says it plainly and I'm gonna quote him now. The thing about your money is it reveals who you really are and you can play the religious game all you want and learn all the right chatter and learn all the right things to say, but your wallet betrays you. So here we are in a series on Habits of Grace, and as we've been talking about, the habit of grace is something that places me in the channel of God's regular blessing in my life, his grace in my life, and we've been encouraging us to look at our lives and to create regular rhythms and habits during the course of our days so that we might regularly stand in the stream of God's blessing. And I wonder if today, as I bring up money and we talk about money, that is it possible that your life might be lacking one of the blessings that God intends for us, and would you be open to the possibility of reconsidering your whole approach to your financial life? Could there be a rhythm of generosity in your financial life 
that would provide for you more meaning and significance in your life than you're presently experiencing. This is the promise that's hidden in, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus who made us knows us, and this is what he said. So our text today is Luke 16. If you have a Bible, please turn there, Luke chapter 16. And uh, for the sake of time, I'm going to summarize a parable that Jesus tells in, uh, in verses one through seven. So Jesus tells a parable. Parable is a, is a, a story with a spiritual meaning. And uh, he often did this. He said, I do this because uh, it will have meaning for those who have ears to hear, but for people that don't, they're not gonna get it. And I want everybody here to be in the former group, okay? All of us get and understand what Jesus is teaching. So here's how the parable goes. Jesus tells a story that there was this owner, presumably a rich guy, who had a manager of his household affairs who, uh, it became evident, was mismanaging his money. Now, it doesn't say that he was embezzling it. It doesn't say that it was a crime. It was more of a just like mismanagement. And the owner discovers that this guy is just really not doing well, and he fires him. Well, the manager now looks at his life, and he is in distress because he says, I'm too old to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg for money. So what am I going to do? And he says, I know what I'm going to do. So on his last day of employment, the last day that he's in charge of this guy's uh, affairs, he calls in some of the vendors who owe the, 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 the dude money. And uh, so he calls in the first guy who apparently owed 100 measures of oil. And he says, cut the bill, now you only owe 50. And he calls another guy in who owes 100 measures of wheat. And he says, cut the bill, you only own, own 80 now. Well, the owner finds out about what this guy had done, and surprisingly, you would think he would be super mad, and maybe he, he behind the scenes was, but Jesus highlights the fact that the owner praises the manager for his shrewdness. And here's now Jesus' commentary about this parable. We begin in verse eight. For the sons of this world... Presumably we'd be talking about like un unbelievers, non-Christians. The sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation, people like them, than the sons of light, Christians. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you uh, the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now notice Luke's, uh, what he inserts here now in the story. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things and they ridiculed him. Interesting. So let's talk about it. This is one of these parables that 
uh, you can easily get tripped up on because you read it and you think, wait a second, this guy is like acting treacherously with the owner's money. You would think that he would be condemned, but he's actually commended here. But notice he doesn't commend the treachery, what he is commending, verse nine, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. This is that old King James mammon. Maybe you've heard, heard that word before. It's just another word for like worldly wealth, the, the, the resources of this world, so that when it fails, you may re- be received into eternal dwellings. Okay, so Jesus is not commending the treachery. What he is commending here is the using of earthly money in a way that is celebrated when you die. Be as calculating with your use of mammon, earthly money, for eternal reward as this guy was opening doors for his next job opportunity. I mean, you see what the guy was doing, right? What better way to sort of ingratiate yourself to uh, somebody, maybe get a job from them, than to cut their bill? And maybe they'll be like, hey, why don't you come work for us? That was his plan. Jesus says we should be as calculating and as strategic with our earthly resources as this guy was to get himself a job. Now, let's draw some truths here from verses 10 and following. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. So here, the little is money, okay? Is money. Now, what is money? Money is a statement of value that we use in the transactions of goods and services You use money every single day in one way or another. This money can be gold, it can be silver, it could be uh, equity in your home, it could be cash, or these days it could be cryptocurrency. To my my knowledge, no one's given a Bitcoin to the church, but those days are certainly coming, I'm sure. So earthly money, Jesus says here, is little, and we have to realize that All of the money of this world, it doesn't matter in heaven, okay? To quote Spurgeon, remember, they paved the streets with gold there, okay? So gold gold there is like uh, gravel here, and I don't see anybody going to gravel roads and going, let's get as much of this as we possibly can. No, it's just the stuff you put on the road, gold is in heaven. We take none of this with us. It has value on earth, but it has no value Once we die, there's no value to earthly money in in heaven. So even a billion dollars of American dollars in the eyes of God is little, okay, little. He who is faithful in little, earthly money, mammon. But here is what money is really, really good at. It is great at measuring character and displaying faithfulness. How somebody handles the money that God gives to them is a certain indicator of whether Jesus is on the throne of our hearts or not. This is what uh, Paul Tripp has has written lots about this. He has a wonderful book on, on money and he describes this as either King Christ or King Money. Who's on the throne of your heart? Who is the true, actual, functional king of your life? If money is your king, then the accumulating of it, 
the holding on to it, the venerating of it, the protecting of it will be the, uh, will be the functional principle of your life. It'll be the motive behind why you do what you do. If king money is on your throne of your heart, every decision is monetized. Like, will this cost me or not? And I don't want it to cost me, and so therefore I'm not going to do this and I'm going to do that. Everything is monetized. Every decision is valued and measured by what pleases king money. At the same time, if Jesus is on the throne of your heart, the same principle applies. Now, what pleases him is the organizing principle of my life. I want to bring glory to Jesus. I want to please him. And that now is the guiding light of my life. Every decision, every direction is now measured by what pleases King Jesus. And as Jesus points out, it's either one or the other. Okay, this, is, you know, this isn't like you can have both on the throne. You're gonna love one, hate the other, hate one, love the other. And friends, money is a wonderful tool. It is a wretched God. And if you're here today and, and King Money is on the throne of your heart, there is a, uh, an emptiness that that produces that maybe you've been living in so long you don't even realize it. King Money. And Jesus urges us here in verse 13, again, that we can't serve both. No servant can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so this is where money is such a helpful uh, indicator because it indicates for us allegiance and devotion and worship. It indicates who or what we actually are living for because our hearts are ultimately allegiant either to God or to to money, it's either one or the other. Now, in the story, uh, there is one group of people that we know what is the organizing principle of their heart, and it's these Pharisees. And I don't know if you caught that as I read it, but the Pharisees uniquely, I shouldn't say uniquely, like many, many people, he says, are lovers of money. And they heard all these things, and they ridiculed Jesus. Like his whole thing about serving God instead of money for them was like, what are you talking about? Like that is just so crazy. Or imagine him, you know, when he taught about the rich man, you know, hard for the rich man to enter the kingdom, like going through the eye of a needle or something like that. Uh, these are things that if you love money sound like craziness. And indeed, today's sermon on CNBC can you imagine the, uh, you know, the, the chatterboxes on CNBC? If I'm talking about living for God instead of money, they'd be like, he is crazy. We don't want him on our show anymore. Because okay? the values, here's the thing, the values of the kingdom of God are nearly diametrically opposed, opposite of the kingdom, how did I say that? The kingdom of God, kingdom of man, they're totally opposite. That's what I meant to say, Okay. And so Jesus now throws down on money in a way that the kingdom of man can't handle it. Like it's so ingrained in us to live for the here and the now, Jesus' words are like crazy talk. 
and they ridiculed him. Now, the Pharisees, I think, are interesting because outwardly, they appeared to be the most pious people in town. Like, the the townsfolk would look at the Pharisees and go, now, there's people that God's pleased with for sure because they're religious leaders. They were very circumspect about all that matters in their life. They appeared to be incredibly religious and godly people. But here is, again, where money is this, like, uh, you know, foolproof indicator, they loved money. That's what it says here. And I'm sure very few of us would like to align with that group today. I don't want you to leave here going, I want to be more like the Pharisees, those lovers of money. No. So if I could ask, who is on the throne of your heart? King money or King Jesus? And obviously this whole message is encouraging King Jesus just to tip you off where I'm going here. Uh, But uh, it is such a a faithful indicator of the motivations of our heart. And when King Jesus is on the throne of your heart, and by the way, this is, I don't know, metaphor for what it means to surrender your life to Jesus, to become a follower of Jesus, uh, to believe in him as your Lord and Savior. The Bible talks about you know, the, the, like the, the kind of bending and surrendering of faith and the enthroning of Jesus in your, in your life where now he is the primary motive and what pleases him is the primary motive of our life. And when Jesus is on the throne of your heart, there is a transformational thing that happens with our relationship to money and resources. No longer do I look in the mirror and find my worth in my financial net worth. Now I look in the mirror and I find my identity in who I am in Christ and I find my worth in who I am to him. Okay? Are you with me? Okay. And that change of how I see myself and how I value myself is one of the most freeing things about Christianity because it gets us out of the values of this this world. So money becomes a tool to us, not a God, not a God. We will never give away our gods. We will cling to our gods until our last moment. Think of the pharaohs with their God of money. They would bury themselves with their gold. Now I've done a lot of funerals, I've never seen bags of money in the casket, okay, but there's probably some people who thought about it. And the Pharisees, or not the Pharisees, but the Pharaohs, it sounds similar. Maybe that's part of the problem. Pharisees, Pharaohs, uh, they would, they tried desperately to take their money with them and their gold and their silver and their wives and all the rest. They would bury them all right there in the tomb with them. And, and here's where, you know, we look at that now and we're like, These, the Pharaohs were crazy. Like, why would you put all of that gold into the tomb with you? And why would you put, uh, you know, have your wives in there? And why would you, what, these people are crazy, but this is where Jesus is trying in his teaching here to free us from the absurdity of trying desperately to hoard it now and take it with us. We don't take anything with us. All of it stays here. And the wonderful thing about being a Christian, one of them, there's many, is that it 
it frees us from trying to live for things that we cannot keep and points us towards living for things that we cannot lose, which is a mild quote of Jim Elliott if you're listening, okay? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And this is the gospel. This is the part of the joy of being a Christian. Now my life matters today because it matters forever. And how I handle my money today matters forever. And so to that end, I would like to, in the rest of this message, I would like to just chart out a guide to faithful Christian financial stewardship, okay? Now, I am a pastor. I am not a uh, financial advisor. But I am a spiritual financial advisor. And I'd like to give you some of my thoughts, and I think these are all biblical thoughts, about how do I approach this, okay? If I wanna live with King Jesus on the throne of my heart, how do I approach my money? Here's the first thing, is approach your life where you are stewarding everything. Stewarding everything. Why do I say that? Here's Psalm 24, verse one. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. James 1:17. every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. And so many other verses that I could read point to the fact that, did you know that God owns everything? He owns the galaxies, he owns the solar systems, he owns the planets, he owns Earth. Everything here is his. He has the ultimate deed on every resource in this, in this world. And so the Bible urges us to approach our things and possessions and our money with a view towards the fact that it's not really mine, mine. It is, it's mine temporarily, but it's ultimately God's, that he is the owner of all of it. Now you might say, I kind of dispute that. Well, you can know what you, is yours by what you get to keep when you die. And I have personally uh, buried rich people, and I have personally buried poor people, and I'm here to tell you the whole is the same size. It's the same size. Now, it might be a gilded casket that goes down, <clears throat> or a, you know, the one you can buy at Costco, but the whole is the same size. I've often told this story, I'll tell it again. Several years ago, I was uh, getting a tour of the Oliver Mansion in South Bend. Maybe some of you have done that. It's kind of the Biltmore of Indiana. It's kind of a fun thing if you need a day trip to go do something. So I was getting a tour of the Oliver Mansion built by some you know, robber baron, uh, railroad guy 100 years ago, and it's you know, all super nice and big and all of that. And so I was getting a tour of this house, and as the tour was going, honestly, I was getting more and more annoyed with the tour guide because I could tell this tour guide was like in love with the Oliver family and so impressed by all the things that he's uh, pointing out. So I decided to poke him, and I said, uh, when they died, how much did they leave? And he breathlessly said, millions. And I said, don't you mean they left everything? I did not make a friend in that moment, I just want you to know. <laughs> And financial stewardship refuses to look at the things that are in my possession 
as ultimately my possession, okay? It is a commitment to a lifestyle of caring for temporarily the things that God, that are his, that he provides to me. Temporary stewards. You may, not, you may acknowledge that, you may not, it doesn't matter, I might do your funeral, and I'm, I could note in that funeral, you don't take anything with you either, nor do I, okay? The question is not whether we are stewards or not, the question is whether we're good ones or not. And here's the thing, God promises to reward every faithful steward of the things that God gives to us. This is the parable of the talents or the parable of the minas, you can read these later, that where we see that, the, the, that God values the multiplying and the using of the things that God gives to us and he promises to reward us for that. And so I'd like to encourage you right now to mentally go through your financial house a moment. Think about the equity in your house. Think about the cash in the bank. Think about the cash in your purse or wallet. Think about your 401k, if you have one. Think about your pension, if you have one. Whatever is in your financial house, just mentally take a moment and think through it. And as you think about it, do you think about it like it's mine? And what I'm urging you, and I can urge from scripture, is to view it as the Lord's. And that is such a freeing thing when I don't have to hold on to the things that are mine like they're mine, it, it, it opens my, you know, it's like, for some of us it's like, you know, we just, it's so hard for our hands to open on the things that we have lived for so long like they're ours, they're our identity, it's our value. No, I'm a Christian. Another deviation that, that even Christians do is we think, okay, well, I'll grant you the point, so there's things that I need to give to God, and so those things I will acknowledge as God's, and then there are all the things that are left, and that's mine. So I did a little chart here to show you how many people think. These are many people in, uh, even in, in Christian churches, where, I, okay, I, I, I gotta give, but at least there's a lot left for me, and that stuff's mine. And this is not a biblical approach either, friends, okay? Here's a biblical approach. Very simple, this isn't complicated, next slide. Anybody not get that? Okay. Everything I have is God's. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to give away what isn't ours? I mean, does this not summarize Washington DC, essentially, <laughs> and most of the governments of the world? When it's not your money, you'll throw it around like crazy, like hey, it's not mine anyway. And this is the key mental pivot, I think. When I view what I have as God's, it loosens my grip on it because I realize I'm giving God's stuff for God's kingdom, for God's glory. And that kind of opens the hands regarding the things that I possess. So steward all of it. View all of it as God's. Everything that I have. Now, I've taught about this over the years here. I've been here a long time. We've had various messages uh, periodically about 
money and, and finances. And one of the things that, that behind the scenes, because of the role that I have in the church, is we hear and we you know, become aware of people who desire to be generous, but they can't. And they can't because of financial decisions that they have made over the years that have put them in a place, there is no margin for generosity. And maybe even as I talk about this, you're kind of thinking to yourself, we can't do nothing. We're up to our eyeballs right now. And part of the generous life, friends, is living financially wise so that you can be generous. And too many people, even I would say to my eye within our congregation, are making decisions on the, on the spending side which leave no room for generosity on the giving side. I could do a whole message about debt and choices that are you know, spending everything that comes in. Some people are in such a hole that just they, they can't get out. So th- this is not a message about that, but I will note uh, this winter, we are going to offer Financial Peace University. We've done that over the years. We're gonna have another round of that. Super helpful for getting your financial house in order so that you can live the generous life. And I would encourage you to do it. And maybe the future you will, will thank you. Somebody wisely said, this is a British person, take care of the pennies and the pounds will take care of themselves. And I would urge, especially those of you that are in your 20s and your 30s, you're like making the decisions right now that are largely gonna shape the rest of your life, okay? Be wise about these things. Don't buy into the culture around. You know, the whole like keeping up with the Joneses, those Joneses are up to their eyeballs in debt, right? They can't even put change in 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 the bell ringer. Uh, at the grocery store. They got nothing, okay? Don't live like them. Live a lifestyle that allows you to be generous today and hopefully even more generous in the future. What a, what a blessing it is to arrive, some of, I could call testimonies right now to this room, I know we got people like this, who because of faithfulness in the past, they're now at the generous stage of their life. And they can do so many things, but it's because of the decisions they made in their 20s and 30s I would urge you to be very, very careful. I got other things in here, but you get the idea, okay? Here's my favorite uh, stewardship quote. All-time favorite, John Wesley, who I have some issues with his theology in some regards, but he nails it on stewardship. He said, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Can I say it again? Make all you can. I hope God blesses all of you, like, you know, massively. Be awesome, flourish in every regard, financially. Make everything that you can. Save all that you can. But the third one is the key. Thereby you can give all that you can. So carefully steward everything. And here's my second. Is to realize that we can't keep anything, but we can send it ahead. Okay, we can send it ahead. And this is a concept, Randy Alcord's wonderful little book, The Treasure Principle, highlights this, this, uh, this aspect. You know, you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You've heard that before. We take nothing from this life with us into the next, but here's the transformational principle. 
Whatever I give in the name of Jesus, I keep forever. Did you get that? What can you do with money? You can, you can spend it, you can save it, and you can give it. And whatever you, you, uh, you spend and whatever you save, for eternity, there's nothing of value from that. But everything that we give for Jesus' sake, we get to keep forever, okay? Here's Jesus' own words, Matthew 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, do you get that? Jesus is saying there is a way to use the monies that God gives to us in a way that I am laying up treasure forever. And that treasure is reward that God promises to give to us for the generosity of our life for him. And that, that generosity comes with these words, well done, good and faithful servant. And this is what makes eternal wealth better than temporary wealth. Wealth in this world, uh, we don't get to keep. And the stock market can go down. And somebody can break into your house and can steal it. Or you can have somebody embezzle it. Or you, I mean, there's a thousand things that can happen uh, to what we think we have in this world. But everything we give is placed into an account in heaven in the eyes of God. And nobody can touch it. And we have it forever and ever. So f- stewardship seeks to uh, steward the things in this life and to be rich, heavenly, forever. Now, I'm gonna get real practical if I can because I know as I talk about this, we have many of you who are mature Christians, you've lived lives of generosity, and we thank the Lord for you. So a lot of this is like, you know, uh, blah, blah, blah. Heard it before, been doing it for a long time. Praise God. But we also have new Christians and we have uh, newer believers who are like, I don't even know what that looks like, okay? I don't even know what you're talking about. How would I begin to honor God with my money and I'm wondering how do I even get started? And for you, I would like to say this could be a really exciting thing. You talk to some of these mature Christians and say, what about your money has been the most meaningful thing in your life? They're gonna talk about the blessing of supporting ministries and missionaries and churches and God's work and gospel work all over the world. It's like wonderful, okay? But to this point, maybe this hasn't been a part of your mojo, okay? So how do we get started with this? And so I'm gonna, here's just a beginner's guideline. Take it as that, okay? I would encourage you to begin a life where you are giving 10%. Now I could talk about the tithe and all of that. We talk about whether that's still valid in the new covenant and all that. I don't have time in this message, okay? But as far as a starting point, how about that? And by doing that, you're cultivating a life of generosity. I would encourage you to save 10%. And every good financial planner would probably encourage something like that. And that cultivates uh, resources and wealth building and then live on 80%, which cultivates contentment, which is also a highly valued Christian uh, quality. Now over the years I've put this up like this and I hesitate to do it because I know there are many of you that you look at that 10% and you're like, finish line, 
finish line. And I would like to urge you to see it more as a starting point, okay? A sort of training wheels, get it going kind of thing. And as God prospers you, perhaps that could grow, go up from there. And guess who's blessed by it if it does? You are, okay? You are. I'm emphasizing here this is not a duty, it's not a tax, it's not a levy, it is God loves a cheerful giver. And we do this as an act of worship, and this is part of the thing where when we give, to, to kind of like in my heart go, okay, God, stir those glad things in my heart as I give this because I want to do it as an act of worship to you. You say, well, I don't know about that 10%, okay? I'll grant it to you. Here's the bottom line. How much should you give? Give as much as you will be glad that you gave one second before King Jesus gives his assessment of your life. Okay? Whatever that number might be, project ahead to when you stand before the King of Kings and give an account for your life, what will you be glad that you did? Whatever that is, do that. And someday, you'll be glad that you did. Now, if you're here and you're early in your career, you're early kind of getting going in life, you might be thinking to yourself, but man, that's just so little. It doesn't really matter. Remember, he who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. And I would say even parents, you know, I, I grew up in a house that practiced tithing. And uh, even when I was a kid, we were expected to tithe. And so my allowance was a dollar a week. Kids, is that low? I don't know. That was a long time ago. Inflationary increases probably have happened. But we had a, a dollar a week, and we gave, therefore, a dime in the offering every Sunday. And I remember as a kid being like, <laughs> when you only have a dollar, 10 cents is a lot. But here's what it did. It formed in me and my siblings a kind of habit of giving. You know, when you start off doing that, it doesn't feel too radical. So bless your kids by teaching them that joy comes in giving and model it for them. And that's one of the things Jennifer and I have uh, pondered, like how do we model it for, you know, in a world where, you know, we have a recurring giving and digital giving and all, like how do you, how do you model giving? And so one thing that we've done, I just throw it out to you, is that at the end of the year, we, we, you know, we do some end of the year giving and support ministries and, and whatnot. And so I'll put those checks together, I'll put them in the envelope, and then we'll have a little family powwow. And I'll say something like, girls, these envelopes are monies that we're giving to these ministries and people, and we're, we're doing this as an act of worship, and we want God to use it, and I'm sharing this with you because it's our hope that you will live a life of generosity as well. Now, whether that's good parenting, I don't know. <laughs> Time will tell in their life, but we're hopeful that they will remember mom and dad being regularly supporting God's work around the world. So, faithful giving in little will be faithful in much. Now, I gotta tell you, we're gonna do something 
uh, very unusual right now, okay? We have a very practical um, application uh, that we're going to do today. So when you go to church, most people expect that there is going to be an offering that is taken, right? Today, here at Bethel Church, and this is true at all of our campuses, we are going to do a reverse offering. And we actually are gonna hand out money to you today. Every household, the church is gonna give a fresh, crisp $20 bill, okay? And this $20 bill, we are giving you and asking you to steward it for maximum kingdom impact. And we're leaving what that will actually be up to you, okay? So this will be your thing. If you have, uh, this is true if you're single, you know, you got a family or not, every household we're going to, uh, we're going to do this to. And we want you to strategize again, how can we bless others in the greatest possible way with this $20? Now, if you choose to keep it and spend it on ice cream, all I can say is God knows, okay? <laughs> and if you choke and die on that ice cream, <laughs> you had it coming, okay? Because we're giving you God's money and we're asking you to use it for God's glory. So, I'm gonna ask one member of every household right now, would you please stand, okay? Just one person in every household, would you please stand? I'm thankful our deacons are gonna help us now with this uh, disbursement. Why don't we get that going, if you would. And uh, so we're gonna have deacons come down in the aisles and if you would just slide to the aisle and uh, we will hand this out to you, if you would do that, please, that one. So just slide to the aisle and we're really asking everybody to do it. You might like, I don't need $20. Okay, do it anyway, all right? Would you please do it anyway? By God's grace today, we're entrusting somewhere around $24,000 to our church family and asking you to do something great with it. Make it count. Now, as they do that, I have a few other instructions, if I, if I might. We would love to hear some of the stories of what you do with this. And so we've created a website. Here is the website. We put it up there, BethelGives.com. And there's a place where you can just say, this is what happened. And we'd love to share some of these stories of stewardship in our church family for their encouragement. This also, by the way, if you are joining us online today, you might be like, oh, we missed that Sunday to be there. <laughs> and if you go to BethelGives.com, there is a place where you can give us your, uh, your contact info and we will send you a fresh, crisp $20 God money bill. And we'd love to have you participate in this as well. So I'm gonna just take a moment as we finish up 
handing out money at church. I'll bet many of you have never been handed money at church. Many of you like the idea though, I'll bet. If we would have advertised this, imagine the attendance today. the scripture again. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And this is our discipleship desire uh, and this, by the way, this came uh, from the lead elders of the church, uh, this, this project today, uh, with their affirmation and approval. Our desire is that church-wide, that we would look at all of our resources the way that we're going to look at that $20 bill, and to see all of it as his. And hopefully, it will grow us uh, and uh, we will see what God does. Could be exciting. 